G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I said, it's so wonderful that you've been uh, appointed this professorship. And he said, well, yeah, now that I've been made professor, I suppose I may as well suicide because there's nothing else left in life. I came out of his office and uh, so I was walking along the corridor to my room. I thought to myself, hasn't he got a hope in God? And then I heard a voice talking to me and saying, and what about you? G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today we have part two of our conversation with Dr. Charles Palagi sharing his fascinating life story. In the mid-1970s, he was a biological scientist in good standing when he became a Christian and began to have serious doubts about the theory of evolution. The more he studied, the more he became an outspoken creationist. But this was not appreciated at his secular university and he proceeded to have 28 years of various degrees of discrimination. And he eventually defended the biblical view of creation on a nationally televised debate that was hosted by British broadcasting legend David Frost. Dr. Palagi is chatting and sharing his story with Eric Scatterbo. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Charles Palagi. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be back again. Okay, last time we talked about your childhood and what an eventful childhood you had in war-torn both Hungary and Germany during World War II. But eventually, at nine years old, you came to Australia. Then what happened? Mm. Well, as I mentioned in the previous program, I was very touched by the works of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we read the, um, the abridged New Testament. Uh, but in Australia, we, I, I just loved Australia straight away because we could hear the uh, kookaburras every morning in oh, Bonagilla yeah. refugee camp. They woke us up early in the morning. So where were you? In a uh, refugee Bonagilla, camp? Bonagilla, Victoria, refugee camp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we were taught songs and English. And, but the best thing I liked about it was um, the kookaburras, and the cook would send us out with slingshots to get lots of rabbits for lunch. Oh, okay. And in those days, rabbits were everywhere, so we'd come back with about 24 rabbits. Wow. Yeah. Did you know English? Uh, well, I picked it up slowly. And uh, so I, uh, my parents had to pay their passage back. So we were, they were uh, put as kitchen hands to St. Bede's College in Mentone, where Catholic priest changed my name to Charles because my original Hungarian name was Kalman. Is that he right? Just, he just felt it was too close to John Coleman, the great Essendon footballer. And uh, so I thought, we mustn't let the children think you're John Coleman. So he changed it to Charles. Oh, okay. That's how you anyway, became Charles. Okay. That's how it went. Um, and then, of course, I went through the normal schooling system in Australia. Um, now, now, you're a retired scientist. How'd you do in school? Uh, well, I did very well at school, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into uh, accepted into uh, medicine at Melbourne University on the basis of my uh, undergraduate, well, school record. And that was all good. But uh, spiritually, 
I began to think, having gone through the Australian education system, that what a pity that the Bible isn't true. That's what you thought. I felt that many, many times over many years, you know, things like Noah's Ark and um, and Jonah the whale and, and stories like that. And I thought, what a pity, because more and more it became ingrained in me that physics, chemistry and mathematics had the answers to the origin of life and why the universe exists. And uh, so I put God completely out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just aimed for an academic career. Uh, At university as an undergraduate, I didn't shine at all because I loved soccer and my new girlfriend, who's now my wife, and that's where I spent my time. But anyway, once I started doing a PhD at the University of Hobart in Tasmania, I, um, I really took a great interest in the biological sciences. And uh, but still, it was still with me that chemistry and physics and maths would uh, resolve my search for the origin of life. Mm -hmm. And so I was just living that way until a strange thing happened that uh, one of our colleagues in the department received a letter to be appointed as uh, professor James Cook University up in Queensland. And that's a desire we all had one day to be appointed professor, which means head of department in oh, Australia. Okay. Yeah. And so I remember going down the corridor to congratulate him. And when I got into his office, it was all dark and he was sitting gloomy behind his desk. And I said, it's so wonderful that uh, you've been uh, appointed this professorship. Mm-hmm. And he said, well... Yeah, now that I've been made professor, I suppose I may as well suicide because there's nothing else left in life. Really? That that was uh, the ultimate achievement I ever wanted, so uh, now there's nothing left to live for. And I said, but wait a minute, you're, uh, you're playing for the Methodist cricket team and you've got a lovely child, children and a wife. Uh, anyway, he was really serious about wow. it and I thought there was no more... No point anymore to stay in his office. It was so gloomy. I came out of his office, and uh, so I was walking along the corridor to my room. I thought to myself, hasn't he got a hope in God? Hmm. And then I heard a voice talking to me and saying, and what about you? Wow. Uh, so that really had an impact yeah. on me. Yeah. And over the next uh, few weeks and months, all kinds of spiritual things began to happen. Uh, one day, I and my wife were invited to my best man out in the country to his house for to stay a few nights over Easter. That's back in 1976. And he was an Irishman, and he had the gift of the gab. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as we were sitting around late one night uh, over Easter, he was telling me Irish ghost stories. And I began to feel very uncomfortable and... I thought, how am I ever going to go to sleep? Because he's he's got me all worked up of mm. these horrific ghost stories. And so I told him and his wife, just to shake it all off, I said, oh, look, this house of yours is old enough to have ghosts in it. And that's when they really became serious. And the hair was prickling on the back of my neck and oh, I was wow. sinking more and more into my armchair as he said about this invisible force that would open a door come in and they would feel this being looking over their shoulders while they're doing the wash-up of the dishes. Mm. So they believed they had ghosts. They believed they had ghosts, an invisible visitor. 
anyway, at that time, at that moment, he said, oh, well, it's time to go to bed now. It's midnight and uh, let's all go. And in this old-fashioned house, the corridors went in all directions. Everybody disappeared to the bathroom and I was left alone to walk along this corridor to my bedroom. My wife went to a bathroom and I thought, oh, this is terrible. If I walk down this corridor and go around the corner, I'll see one of these things. You know, mm. that was the impression I had and I was scared. I was really scared. So even though at this point you were a lecturer, scientist, yeah. scientists don't believe in this kind of stuff. I know. And I just had this weird feeling that an evil influence was trying to draw me into its own realm. Mm. And fortunately, it was Easter, and that Easter I'd read an editorial in the Melbourne Age newspaper about artifacts that were supposed to have belonged to Jesus. So as I was walking along the corridor, somehow I had the intuition that I would have to make a decision between the good and the bad forces, mm -hmm. spiritual forces, and the only good force I could think of was Jesus. So in my mind, I was crying Jesus helped me, Jesus, very silently. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus helped me, Jesus helped me. And I don't know how I got to sleep, but I did that night. The next morning, I was too ashamed to tell my Irish friend that uh, I had this experience because I thought he'll just laugh. Uh, and I didn't know what it was all about. But I remember driving back to Melbourne from the countryside. I thought, oh, the grass looks greener, the cows look great. Everything looked beautiful, much more than hmm. when we had driven up. And uh, it was Easter. Uh, the children would have to go. Uh, my son was already about 12 years old. Um, they'd have to go to school, so I thought I'll clean up his uh, bookshelf and sort it out and get rid of useless books that he no longer reads. And I came across this book that I was about to discard, AA from an encyclopedia, and I came across the Book of Acts. And I thought, oh, what's the Book of Acts? And I saw a picture there of the Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles. So I started reading the, uh, the caption, and I thought, oh, something like that happened to me. And then I started looking up the references it gave. And so I haven't been able to put the Bible down since because I realized I had a similar experience to mm. the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the Book of Acts. Oh, wow. I was still on my own, thinking about these things, wondering what it all meant. Mm -hmm. But I began to read the Bible, and then I came across a story uh, of the blood on the doorposts in the exodus of Egypt, and I thought, well, what does all of that mean? Mm -hmm. But by this time, I'd invited some Christian friends to come to my office at work, and we'd have lunchtime together. So I asked everyone, what's the explanation for the blood on the doorposts? And as everybody tried to answer it, none of the answers made sense except one guy who said, oh, well, that's the blood of Jesus. You know, it was the salvation of the blood on the door because he is the door and it was symbolic of Jesus. Oh, it the was salvation. Uh, pointing toward Jesus. Pointing towards Jesus in the yeah. New Testament. Yeah. And as soon as he opened his mouth, I felt like a rushing wind going through my ears and I thought, yeah, he's got the answer. And so I began to listen to him. You're listening to The Story. Today, Dr. Charles Palagy is once again sharing his life story. We've been hearing how the Lord was working in his life. Next, we'll find out how he becomes a Christian. And then, as a biological scientist, 
he began to experience discrimination after he became an outspoken creationist. We'll find out some of the challenges he faced when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo's chatting with retired biological scientist Dr Charles Palagy about his life story and how he eventually puts his faith in Jesus Christ. Before the break, we heard how he met a Christian man whose opinion he came to greatly respect. So uh, he invited me to uh, a church service where he said we're going to have some charismatic speakers and uh, two ladies. And so I decided to go because I didn't even know what charismatic meant. And so on the first night, one of them gave a beautiful gospel message that I'd never heard in any other church because occasionally we attended the Lutheran church. And she announced, well, tomorrow night, come back because... uh, Sister Lane over here is going to pray for people to be healed. So uh, on the second night, uh, she performed uh, healing miracles. I saw one myself. And so I was convinced all of a sudden with all the things I'd learnt about the fact that there are invisible forces at work, physics and chemistry can't explain everything. So it changed my whole scientific concept, Mm. and I began to believe the Bible. I began to believe in miracles. Mm -hmm. And so I read up more and more about creation. I read up more and more about evolution. And then I realized that creation had more scientific support than evolution theory. Mm -hmm. And so I was a senior lecturer at the university at the time, and so... Because I was now convinced that uh, there was some real foundation to uh, creation in the Bible, I began to share this with my colleagues who were aghast that I would even dare question evolution theory because they were all committed evolutionists. And so as I shared and I tried to explain it to them, nobody would listen and it caused a lot of frustration on my part because I thought, here, I I really had something important to say and nobody would listen. And any scientific argument that I tried to bring up, they would just say, oh, no, no, we we don't want to hear it, just just leave us alone. And so I wrote a letter to the Melbourne Age where I said, well, evolution is a cancer, and I signed as a senior lecturer at a particular university in Melbourne. Oh, wow. Oh, and that caused uh, havoc in the newspapers for the next two weeks until the editor had said, okay, we've had enough on this because people were writing in for and against mm-hmm. and academics from all over Australia uh, were sending letters to our head of department. How could you have a creationist in a science department on staff? Mm-hmm. So it was very embarrassing for the university. My professor got very, very angry with me, especially when I persisted sharing, and one day I even shared it with a huge class. So I got severely reprimanded for that, and eventually I had to sign a letter that I would never criticise evolution theory nor promote creation in a class. But you could do it outside. I could do it personally. Or... The letter said that I could respond if I was challenged by the students in the class, which they did to me uh, Mm -hmm. on one particular occasion. And eventually, 
this started this national dialogue on creation versus evolution, and you were asked to take part in a debate? Yes, well, um, I was asked to, uh, I was rung up, I think it was Channel 7, Mm -hmm. they had David Frost over as a guest um, host, and he interviewed me and Dr. Michael Archer from Sydney University, who represented evolution, and I gave the creation account. So that was a 20 or 30 minute program. And then on top of that, the Sunday program that was being hosted by Jennifer Byrne came on campus and uh, filmed me for about 20 minutes. And that was shown on Sunday morning program, uh, following me around campus and further uh, allowing me to explain why I believed in creation. Well, that just sort of stirred up a hornet's nest at university once again, that uh, I was using my position to promote creationism. And so things were set in motion on campus. They had secret meetings uh, as to how they could legally fire me. Mm -hmm. Uh, They banned the book from the bookshop, which had been selling up to that point for two weeks. Uh, Next time I went into the bookshop, the manager said, I'm sorry, but the university has confiscated all your books. Uh, Then the vice-chancellor sent the dean of school and the head of my department to meet with me in a special meeting to coerce me to resign. Didn't they want you to transfer over to a seminary or something? Yes. uh, They they said, well, Charles, you know, you you preach the Bible more than science, and uh, therefore, uh, are you sure this is the right uh, sort of career for you? You should be in a seminary. Why don't you apply for a job at a seminary? How many biology departments are in seminaries? None. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I told them, well, uh, I've got a family to support. I couldn't go to a seminary. Who would want me there? And uh, so they just started ribbing me about the Bible, how ridiculous it all is. Do you really think that Jesus said something and poof, it happened? You know, things like that. Mm. They knew all their scriptures. They must have been to Sunday school in their younger days. So they just refused to believe miracles were even possible. Yeah. And once again... They did not want me to raise any evidence why evolution might be wrong. Even though in the biochemistry department next door, there was a Michael Denton there who wrote a book which became well-read in uh, the States and elsewhere, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. It was well-received everywhere. So he Uh, was seeing some of the same problems with evolution. He was. But because he is an agnostic, it was better received. Yeah, uh, they didn't care about it. But you see, I was promoting that uh, the alternate idea that God created according to the Bible. And and I think it wasn't about science. It was about faith, mm. questions of faith. They just didn't want to know about the, how the Bible could be made consistent with science. Okay, well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we need to wrap up the conversation. It does kind of end well, your career at the university. Yeah, well, uh, I'm very thankful that God led me through engineering, physics, chemistry, and then biology, which allowed me to cover a broad range of subjects, which I have in relation to creation on my website, creation6000.com. And uh, I hope some of your listeners will uh, want to read up further on uh, the evolution-creation controversy and why I believe creation is uh, so plausible. And we should say that all the while they were giving you flack, you were continuing as a lecturer and a scientist. 
doing yes. research and having students. Yeah. So finally, your career ended, you retired, and they had a nice party for you. Yes, uh, my retirement was uh, so good that uh, some people suggested that uh, we should have more retirements like this because it was uh, <laughs> such a pleasure for everyone. And um, they didn't cover any of the problems that I had created during my testimony. And, and we campus. should say that the last 12 years weren't so bad. No. As far as getting no. discrimination and, and flack and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because we agreed to disagree mm -hmm. because there was a new head of department. The former one passed away. So that solved a lot of problems. So, Charles, it sounds like you're a pretty stubborn guy. <laughs> I mean, you could have just you know, hey, I'll just say whatever they want to get along, but you stayed firm in your faith in the Lord and in your convictions that the Bible explains how we were created. Yes. Uh, yes, that's something I can't get away from. And I'm very adamant that it is plausible, even scientifically, that God created. Well, the Lord has greatly blessed you for your obedience and your faithfulness to him. And we encourage our listeners to check out your website and learn more about creation and the research you've done in this department. Once again, the website is creation6000.com. Thank you so much, Charles Palagy, retired Dr. Charles Palagy, for joining us once again. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It's been a pleasure meeting with you. That was the conclusion of Eric Scatterbo's chat with Dr. Charles Palagy, sharing his life story and, as we heard, what a remarkable life journey he's had. First growing up in war-torn Hungary and Germany during World War II, then moving to Australia and becoming a biological scientist, to then facing various forms of discrimination after becoming an outspoken creationist. But since becoming a Christian, he's remained firm in his faith and in his belief in the Bible being accurate in its description of creation. As the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Dr. Charles Palagy's website once again is creation6000.com. That's creation6000.com. Well, thanks for joining us for the conclusion of Dr. Charles Palagy's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We felt a call to go to the Philippines, and that's what we did. Took two young boys, sold everything, and I loved it. It was hard work, hard seeing, such a contrast of people with the very rich and the extreme poverty. Sadly, a few events, I ended up coming home after just on a year and found myself a single mum with two little boys. We'll have two stories for you next time about women serving the Lord. Noreen O'Brien has been involved in ministry in different locations, including the Philippines, and is now helping a ministry in Uganda. And Robin Jensen has a heart for ministering to Aboriginal youth in Alice Springs. We'll hear both of their stories next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.